We are glad you joined us today. Harrison Church is constantly being blessed with its members and volunteers who are devoted to experiencing and serving God. If you wish to get involved, please visit us online at harrisonchurch.org and click on the Get Involved tab for more. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us, my name is Shane, and I'm so glad that you're here. I do want to catch us up where we are. This is the, uh, we've been doing a little series for the last, wow, six Sundays? Feels like a long time. Maybe this is the seventh Sunday, where uh, what I've been doing is that uh, a few months ago, I asked the congregation to submit questions to me, things that they were curious about, and then I could take some of those questions and preach a sermon on them. So we've been doing this, and uh, today is the, the last sermon in this series, and I'm getting ready to preach on really what was the number two most asked question that I received, and it's, and it's this. It is, what do Methodists believe about hell? Now, if you're visiting with us, this is not typical for me to talk about. You might be thinking, are we in a Methodist church again? But you are. But I'm going to answer the question, and i got to tell you, I was hesitant to do this, not because I'm afraid to talk about it, uh, it's because, number one, I got so much I want to say that that just can't make it because you do want to go home today. And another thing is that most of us, when we think about uh, like things in the past that, you know, this idea of hell has been used as kind of like emotional manipulation to kind of scare you. And, uh, you know, or we think that Christianity is just about getting out of hell when it's not at that, you know, at all. But I'm going to answer the question, and it's my job to kind of give you things to think about. Maybe you've never thought about before. And uh, so I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark. The the, uh, words will be on the screen. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And he is speaking, I will refer to this again, to his own disciples. That's going to be critical, okay? So let's read Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 42. Jesus said, If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck And you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell and if your eye causes you to stumble tear it out it is better for you to enter the kingdom of god with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched for everyone will be salted with fire i'm going to get back to that <laughs> salt is good but if salt has lost its saltiness how can you season it have salt in yourselves And be at peace with one another. This is the word of our Lord, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Let's do this. Uh, All right. Let me just get to the easy, the the quick answer to the question, what do Methodists believe about hell? There are two parts to this. Number one, we believe it exists. It is a part of our biblical doctrine. It's there. That's the first part. Second part of the question is, none of us has any idea who's going. And it would only be the prideful who would think otherwise. But it's there. Right? We just heard it. It's in the Bible. You find it in the New Testament. Jesus is here mentioning it. This is the first one of the first of a, a couple passages. He does not refer to hell all that much. 
But this is one that we have just heard. Some of you know the parable of the sheep and the goats. Right, Jesus tells this parable at the end of, on the last day, that there's going to be a king, and the king, we could say it's the Lord, you know, he's going to separate people, and it'll be the sheep and the goats, and he will judge them, the parable goes, based on how they treated the vulnerable. And to the sheep, those who treated the vulnerable well, the king will say, enter now into my paradise. But for those who did not treat the vulnerable well, or just didn't care about them, the goats, Jesus says, the king will say, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his, his angels. All right? So it's there. It is there. Now, here's one thing that I want you to, I think it's very interesting. And this is why I pointed out that who's Jesus talking to matters. Because if you go back and read the Gospels and you pick out most of the places or even all the places where Jesus is referring to a hell, he is almost always preaching to his own disciples or to the very religious people like the Pharisees. So when Jesus is preaching about, you know, cut off your hand if it's causing you to sin, he's talking to his own followers. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says that uh, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, guess who he's preaching to? His own disciples or the religious people. St. Paul in the New Testament, he says something in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10. He said, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's not writing to believers, I mean to unbelievers, he's writing to believers. All right, so this idea that hell is for other people, for unbelievers, when Jesus refers to it and when the New Testament refers to it, it's almost always directing the warnings at us. We have a big responsibility. Right? We've got, we've got a, a life that we are called to live, and now we have some accountability. Plus, if you go back and read what Paul says, what God's going to judge us Christians on, we miss this as Protestants. But when Paul says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he says God will judge us according to our works. He doesn't say he will judge us based on what we believed about Jesus, but he says we will be judged based on what we did in our body. So like our, our works matter and all these things. So we will be judged. Now here's something we always miss about judgment. And I will move on to the question after I say this. One of the things that we miss about the judgment of God is that in the Bible, very often the judgment of God is considered to be ultimately great news. It is good news. We don't think of it that way. But this does. Why? Because God is going to judge the world in truth. Right? If there's no judgment of God, there's no justice. There's no such thing as justice. Forget it. If God does not judge, then there will be no rightness of things that have been wronged. Right? If there's, there, if there's no judgment, then there's no check on evil. We want God to judge. But he's not going to be Mr. Bias in his judgment. He's going to judge the world in just equity. That's how some of the Psalms put it. And we're going to stand before the Lord. And yes, we are going to be, we're going to be fully exposed. We're going to see ourselves as we have truly been and as we truly are. And that sounds really uncomfortable and discomforting at first. But I love the words of 1 John in the New Testament, chapter 4. I think it's verse 15, where John says, But my brothers and sisters, talking to the Christians, you and I can have boldness on the day of judgment. We can have boldness. He uses the word boldness. Why? 
Because the one who's going to judge us is the one who bled for us. The one who died for us. The one who rose again for us. Our judge is going to be our Savior. Therefore, we can have boldness on the day of judgment. Judgment is good news. It really is ultimately good news. God will right the wrongs in the world and even in us. Now, one of the things that really fascinates us or trips us up about these, uh, these verses about hell in the Bible is uh, the descriptions that are often used. Things like worms that never die or uh, you know, fires that are never quenched. Uh, I will tell you that uh, for the first thousand years of the church's existence, you actually don't find a lot of uh, writings about hell. But in the Middle Ages, oh my Lord, it became an obsession. Everybody was thinking about hell. Dante's Inferno. Some of you had to read Dante's Inferno, you know, this image of hell. Most of us have been informed by Dante <laughs> than we have been by the Bible. I mean, this became kind of an obsession. Now, I got myself into trouble, I don't know, about four weeks ago. I tend to do this all the time anyway. I get myself into trouble. But I don't know, about four weeks ago, and I was in a class, and, uh, and I said in, in this class, because the topic of hell came up, and I knew I was preaching on it a few weeks later, and I said, you know, I, I do not take all the images of hell in the Bible literally any more than I take all the images of heaven in the Bible literally. I threw some people. I'm not being a heretic up here. I'm not the only one who have said that. There are a lot of people who have said that. I mean, for instance, when you think about heaven, some, there are some passages in the Bible, like in Revelation, where it describes heaven as, uh, you know, the streets are kind of paved with gold. Or you have, uh, you know, God is described as being like a rock, or God is a shelter, or God is a mighty fortress. Well, God is not literally a rock. He's not literally a fortress. What's going on is that all these images, these are analogies that we use. This is our language trying to convey in things that we can understand, like the greatness of what God is and what heaven will be. Like, you know some people who imagine heaven as being a great big golf resort in the clouds, you know? Big old golf, oh yeah, playing the 18 holes now. That wouldn't be heaven for me because I don't play golf. Right, but there's some people that like the best in life for them is being out on the golf course. And so heaven's got to be like that. But you know as well as I do that heaven's going to be incomparably better than that. You know, we're going to be before God. We're going to be before the presence of God. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to see beauty with a capital B. It's going to be incomparably better. So that's kind of what's going on with heaven. So imagine the best thing you can think of about our world. Say heaven's going to be like that, but heaven will be exceedingly abundantly better than that. It will be far beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine. Of course, that comes from the Bible as well. So when we come across these images of fires and worms, and it, it, it was a way to kind of imagine what's the worst thing we can think of. And then project that onto what it could be like, but really hell will be worse than that. It'll be far more infernal than just worms and fires. Uh, people have asked me when I well, even last week, so Shane, what do you what do you think hell is going to be like? I know that's why you came to church today for me to answer this question. Uh, and I'll tell you. And what I think hell will be like is very much influenced. I'm borrowing the language of some great, great thinkers down through the centuries. I can't help it. This is just who I am. How have the great teachers and the masters understood this? And how I understand hell is that hell is the experience of 
just this utter isolation where we are worsening. Our isolation is getting worse and worse and worse, where we are utterly left alone to ourselves. And we're becoming more self-centered, more self-interested over and over and over again. That's how I understand it. And and how I, I get to that, people like Martin Luther or other people, might be helpful to think about sin. I think sin is kind of understood with this phrase uh, that, that sin is, when we're living in sin, what's happening is that they call it the, the heart turning in on itself. So imagine sin being a heart, our heart, our souls are just kind of spiraling inward. You might want to think about, uh, for those uh, astrologers and astronomers, you know, think of a black hole. You know, it's a star that's being, it's collapsing on its own gravity. And so sin is kind of like us. We're, we're collapsing in on ourselves. So at the root of all the sins that you and I commit, at the root of it all is self-interest. We are self-interested. We are thinking only about ourselves. I want what I want. We're not thinking about other people. So sin is the heart just kind of spiraling more and more inward, going within, 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 all right? That's the heart that's living in kind of this sin away from the love of God. So we're turning not toward God, we're turning away from God. Now I want you to think about this, all right? That's that's the heart turning in on itself. I want you to think for a minute about the heart of God. Which direction is God's heart going? Is it going inward or does it go outward? It goes outward. So the heart of Jesus is a heart. The heart of God is a heart that is ever more expanding outward. More and more and more. The mercy of God is just so wide. right? And so, and so to be filled with the love of God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that means our lives, we should be going more and more outward. We're not going in on ourselves. Right? But the heart of the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is within us, is that our lives are going more and more outward. Are you following me? I mean, you think about the virtues of the Christian faith, like generosity. Or you think about forgiveness or love. What's the direction? The direction is outward. Right? If you're going to be generous, you've got to go outside of yourself. If you're going to forgive, you've got to go outside of yourself. So we can imagine heaven being this state in which we are out, right? We're, we're outward. Our, our focus is on God. Our focus is on the praise and the worship of God. And what that means is that our lives, if we are focused on the love of God, if, if our hearts are filled with the love of God, our lives can develop a kind of momentum. We're going out this way more and more and more, so when we die, that momentum will carry us into the next life and into the presence of God. Okay, that can, we have momentum. So when we stand before the Lord, we will, we will have these open hearts. And so that means everybody in heaven is just focused on God. Their hearts are just growing more and more, wider and wider and wider. This is why saints never care about who's in and who's out. They just want everybody, right? Their hearts are just getting so wide. That means there's no self-interest in heaven. Nobody's thinking about themselves in heaven. It's focused out. Yeah, the heart of God. Now hell would be the opposite. Right? If, if to be filled with the love of God means for our hearts to always go out, 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 then that means to reject the love of God or to be away from the love of God means we're going inward more and more and more. So the great saints say that's what sin is, is that when we live in sin, 
what we're doing is we're turning more and more away from God and we're becoming more self-interested, which makes us more self-interested, which makes us more self-interested, which makes us more self-interested. And this lifestyle of being self-interested can build a kind of momentum so when we die, that momentum will carry over as well. And so everybody in hell is just utterly in themselves and nothing else. No, they don't notice anybody. They have no compassion. Even the presence of God is becoming dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And what that means, there's good news here. I will get to it. Um, what, 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 what that means, though, is that, and this, some people will think this is like, wow, a controversial statement. It really is not. That means that heaven and hell, instead of being these literal places, but we can't help it. We just imagine things in space and time. Everything's got a place. Heaven and hell are not so much places as they are states of being. So this, the, if you're in heaven, the state of your being means you're open. Everybody in heaven has hearts that are so open, so merciful, and it's expanding. But everyone in hell, their hearts are not expanding. They're contracting. And so hell is the state where you are shrinking and you are becoming less and less than what you are. That's worse than fires and worms. Okay? Uh, I will share with this. This might just flip you out. There was a uh, theologian who wrote several centuries ago. He's orthodox, not a heretic. And what he said is this. I'll try to slow down because I get excited. He says that heaven and hell may well be the same reality experienced differently. All right, if you've got to think of a place, think of a place. So it's the same place experienced differently. My uh, analogy to this is that uh, for those of you who are married, you ever notice that sometimes you can be in a room and your, your wife is freezing to death and you're like, everything's great. You ever notice that? So the, the air's not doing anything. It's just how you are experiencing that moment. And this guy said, this must be what heaven is and hell is. And so what he did is he went through all these passages in the Bible that describe God as like a fire. You think about God forms, comes to his people in, in the book of Exodus in the pillar of fire. You think about Moses, when God appeared to Moses, it was in the, uh, what was it called? The burning bush. Uh, you think about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, it came down like tongues of fire. You've got John the Baptist who preached before Jesus and said that the Holy Spirit is a purifying fire. And then you got a verse in the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 29. I'm loving it up here, quoting scripture. And it says, our God is a consuming fire. And this theologian, his name was Simeon, he said, what's going to happen then is that when we come to the end of our lives, everybody's going to be thrust into the presence of this holy, purifying fire. The holy fire of God. Whether we experience it as heaven or as hell depends on how we can relate to that fire. So that means for those whose hearts have been expanding outward, who care about mercy and forgiveness and following Jesus, that means they will experience the fire as delight and warmth. But to those who have grown cold, right, those who are shrinking, who are away from the love of God, they will not experience it as pleasure at all. What's interesting is that the fire of God burns the same. It's not God going, you down there and you up here. No, it's how we are oriented. It's how we are oriented to that fire, whether we experience it as pleasure or as a kind of torment. Doesn't that flip you out? Man, that's great. 
I love that. That's a whole different way of, of looking at things. So here's the issue as I, I come down. I'm going to have to go to bring this sermon to a close. What this means is at least two things. Folks, our choices in life matter. It matters, the decisions that we make. It is not enough to say, well, I'll just believe five things about Jesus because I'm haunted by the letter of James who says even the devils believe in God, and that doesn't change their lives, right? So it matters the kind of choices we make, and what I mean by that is think about the decisions you make, your lifestyle choices. Are, are you making decisions that cause your heart to expand, right? Are you, are you more generous than you were? Are you more merciful than you were? Are you, are, is your heart, are you filled with the Holy Spirit that's going to cause your heart to go outward, or are you making lifestyle decisions where you are still trapped in self-interest? It matters. I mean, we live in a culture that's all about self-interest. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. Block people, get them out of your life. Fend for yourself, for yourself, for yourself. No, it matters. Right? Are we going outward in our life or are we going ooh, just, just inward? It does matter. The second thing, first is our choices do matter as Christians. The second thing is God doesn't send anybody to hell. On this, all the great Christian teachers agree. Hell is self-willed, just like heaven is self-willed. We can choose to respond to the grace of God, or we can choose not to respond to the grace of God. God is not sending anyone there. We send ourselves. You know, C.S. Lewis, I love this. C.S. Lewis has this great analogy in his book. Some of you read it called The Great Divorce. And he says that the doors of hell, it's like you can imagine God keeping the doors of hell open. He wants to keep them open, but the souls in hell just keep closing the door and locking them from the inside. Nope. God wants to open it. Nope. We want to close. So the doors of hell, he said, are actually locked from the inside. And he's got this image. He, he can imagine like the Lord sending like a bus or a train into hell. Every day. And, and the purpose of sending this train or this bus into hell is so people get on the bus, come into heaven. Come on, come on, come on, come on. But all the souls in hell, they make every excuse to stay where they are. I like my anger. If I had to go to heaven, I can't be mad at my spouse anymore. Right? Or you have some soul saying, I just want to be left alone. Can you please just leave me alone? And that is why C.S. Lewis ends his book. And one of you quoted this to me just a little while ago. He says, in the end, there are two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, your will be done. And then there are those to whom God says, your will be done. God wants no one to go to hell. The Bible says in the New Testament that God wants none to perish but that all might be saved. That's God's hope. Or I think of the words of Jesus in John chapter 12 when Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You think about that. When the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Does that mean all will be saved? No, we can't say that. We cannot say that. It is possible that there will be those who are so self-interested that they can't get out of it, right? that they will choose to reject the love of God. But here's the question. Can we hope all will be saved? Yes, we can. 
Because God hopes all will be saved. So we're not prideful and say, I know who's there and who's there. No, we all want mercy. And we hope that all shall be saved. And as we hope, we look to Jesus, the one who came down into this world, who died in this world, who descended into the grave. And in some traditions, he descended into hell. Jesus even went to hell. His presence has been to hell because the heart of God There's nowhere it will not go. There's nowhere it will not go. (laughs) And we look to Jesus. And we realize that our choices matter. We want hearts that go out. And we realize that we serve a Savior who opened the floodgates of heaven. So that all might come in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come to the Father through Jesus' Son. Give Him the glory, great things He has done. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, it does matter how we're living. You do not will anyone to be separate from you to choose that path. You are the God who says, come to me, all of you. All of you. I will give you rest. Not some of you, not most of you, but come to me, all of you. Lord, let us remember that you spoke those words to your people. Take away from us all smugness, all pride. Help us be humble. Let us be a people of mercy. Help us have hearts that go ever onward and outward and outward and more and more where we can say like you, there is a wideness in our mercy, just like there is a wideness in your mercy. Let us be a people of grace and charity so that our hearts will be more like yours and that we will think no longer for ourselves and of ourselves, but for our neighbor and for you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.